0: well hello everyone uh it's uh in unusual circumstances that i come to you today um just uh campus has recently been shut down you guys are on your way home uh, in light of the coronavirus spread and uh we're really sad we're broken but we know that these are things that need to be done in order to care for you all and for the community as a whole and uh even though that we cannot meet together even though we cannot be together in person uh, I just think it's vitally important that we continue to spend time in God's Word, to hear His Word taught and proclaimed, perhaps perhaps even more in times like this than in any other time do we need to be reminded of the truth of who God is. And uh, a revelation that we've been walking through could not be a more perfect book. This is a book about the revelation of Jesus Christ. We see Him and His power and His strength, and as we're going to even look at today, we're going to see... His power over all things, and how He is bringing uh, justice uh, for the wrongs that exist, and how He is going to ultimately restore the earth and bring a new heavens and a new earth where there is no more coronavirus, there is no more uh, death, there is no more suffering. And so, um, it's with that in mind that I wanted to bring God's word to you uh, and to continue our time in the Book of Revelation. So. What we're going to be doing today is we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 1 again. Uh, Last week we looked at it from the the lens of how does this help us set up an interpretive framework? How do we use the clues in here to help us understand how John wants us to take what he is writing? But this time around we're going to look at chapter 1 and we're going to see how in a, a brilliant way John begins to establish and to set up his themes that are going to be running through uh, the whole book of Revelation. And to summarize those themes, I believe Revelation is largely a promise of salvation, a a promise of hope and restoration to those who are enduring intense persecution. It's a message that there is judgment coming for the evil that is happening against the people of God, and it's a message of the victory of King Jesus. And he's going to Vindicate the death of his martyrs and those who are suffering for following him. Um, Another way of saying is you could say that in short, Revelation is a promise that Jesus uh, is going to defeat the enemies of his people and bring his people into a new and better life. And to help us kind of understand that, I wanted you to think for a moment about these promises of hope that have come. You know, we don't understand it maybe at a cosmic level, but we do understand it at the level of history. One of my favorite areas of history is World War II. And I want you to just for a moment, if you've I had these as slides, but if you could picture for a moment, just sort of some of the U.S. military equipment that was present during World War II. Perhaps you're familiar with the B-32 bomber. Just an incredible piece of equipment with incredible firepower. We had the Sherman tanks. Uh, with their large guns and, and maneuverability. We had the howitzer and the machine guns and the rocket launchers. Um, these are just standard issue U.S. Army tools. There was an incredible amount of firepower. And I want you to consider what it would have been like if you had been in a Nazi concentration camp. You had seen your friends and your relatives suffer and die. And you were longing for this oppressive people to be taken away, for justice to be poured out. And I want you to imagine seeing bombers, U.S. bombers flying overhead or or hearing reports of the United States Army coming. It would be such an incredible moment of hope knowing that there is this incredible power that is coming to rescue you, that is coming to to free you from your suffering and coming to begin to, to turn things right and to begin to restore your life. And in a way, I think that sort of historical realities captures much of the story of Revelation. See, Christians were suffering at the hands of Jews who were opposed to them, just like the Jews were opposed to Jesus. And they were suffering at the hands of the Romans who were influenced by the Jews to persecute the Christians. They're suffering, they're being martyred, they're being handed over to death. And so God sends the Apostle John with a message of hope. It's a message that Judgment is coming for their persecutors and for the satanic powers that are behind their persecution. And in this message, it's a call to endure for just a little while longer. It's, It's a call to hang on. It's a call to wait for Jesus because he is a king who is on the throne and he is coming with power. And that power is going to end and put an end to those who are persecuting God's people And it is going to establish a new kingdom where where life will be beautiful and there will be righteousness. This is the the storyline of the book of Revelation. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and read Revelation chapter 1, and then we're going to explore some of the key themes that we find in the book of Revelation. And I just want to say, as we're reading this, this is a story, uh, an account of what happened years ago, but it has immediate relevance for our time today as we're walking through this coronavirus yes we don't have physical enemies that are persecuting us for the sake of the gospel but friends there's similar calls to endure to put our hope in Jesus as the king who rules the universe who has power over all and whose attitude and position is that he is putting all things under his feet and one day is going to usher us into a new heavens and a new earth where there will not even be a thing like the coronavirus. Death will have been gone. And uh, so just map on the truths about who God is to this current situation. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and read Revelation chapter 1. It says this, "...the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ." of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, and the kingdom and the patience and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, And to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands and the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. That's God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we are in these days of the coronavirus, as we're in these days where beyond that sin and suffering and death are present, they are with us. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded that we know the Alpha and the Omega. We know the one who was the first and the last. We know the one who was the firstborn from the dead. We know the one who holds the keys of death and Hades in his hand. And we know that though death might touch us, it does not have the final word, because we know the one who was resurrected from the dead. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with us, that you would remind us of the truth of Jesus, that you would reveal Jesus, that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Would you help us to see him and to know him? Help us to anchor our hearts in him in these times of uncertainty. We ask this in your name. Amen. So, what we're going to do tonight is we're just going to look at some of the major themes laid out here in the book of Revelation. So, first, first theme that we see is the revelation of Jesus. We covered this last week, but the first and most significant and central theme In the whole book of Revelation is Jesus. That's it. He's at the center. He is the one who is worthy to open the scrolls of history, as we're going to see. He is the one who is the lion and the lamb. He is the one who purchased a people by his blood from every tribe and nation. He is the one who gives light to the new heavens and the new earth. He is the one who wipes away tears. He is the one who wipes away diseases and sickness. He's the one who defeats the beast he is the one who binds Satan. He is the one who was and who is and who is to come. And he is the center of this book. And we've laid this out already, but look at how Revelation starts. It's clear. Verse 1, chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the thing that must soon take place. Friends, this book. Is about Jesus. It's about helping us to see Him for who He is. So if you get nothing else out of this series, I hope you get this. I hope you get a more clear and awesome picture of who Jesus is. And might I just add, in this time where there's uncertainty and there's trials, friends, this is a book to come to to see the power of Jesus. We need to look at him and to reveal him. You probably heard the story. Perhaps of a bunch of seminary students who were studying the book of Revelation, and uh, it was late after class, and they were talking and debating the meaning of revelation and, and what was going on and uh, one had this interpretation, and the other, and they were looking over all these Old Testament references and anyway, as they were discussing, a janitor walked by and they, just out of kind of their frustration, humorously called over to the janitor and said, "Do you have any idea what revelation?" was about, and uh, they were almost mocking him, but the, re- the janitor humbly turned and said the following, Jesus wins. And friends, I love that. He, he simply boiled down the message of Revelation. There's hardship, there's suffering, there's things that are coming, that are, are present, death is present, but the ultimate message is Jesus wins. Jesus is the one who sees it all. It's his victory. So friends, what does this mean for you and I? Well, if Jesus is the main message of Revelation, I believe it means that we need to savor Jesus. We need to enjoy him. We need to come and we need to learn about him and we need to worship him. All throughout the book of Revelation, we're going to see these scenes where the throne room of, of heaven is surrounded by creatures and, and people and they're all worshiping the land. That's what we should do. When we see who Jesus is, we should worship. We should be awestruck at his power, at his majesty, at his grace, as his love for us. So friends, even today, the thing that you need the most in the midst of all the things that are changing and happening in your life, savor Jesus. So that's the first theme we see is the revelation of Jesus. The second theme that I believe emerges here from chapter one is the theme of of endurance. Really, we we get more of this call in chapters 2 and 3, but we see hints of it in chapter 1. Go ahead and look at verse 9 in chapter 1. John says this, "...I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom and the patient endurance that that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus." So John is writing this as he's in exile, persecuted for his faith. He's suffering at the hands of the Jews and the Romans. And he's saying, I'm participating with you in this tribulation. That means he knows that many of the other Christians that he's writing to here in Asia are suffering. Um, They're being persecuted. They're being put to death. We see images of martyrs happening throughout the book. And it's a call for them to endure. Do you notice he says in verse 9, I'm a partner with you in the patient endurance. He's saying hang on. Yes, it's bad. It's it's bad now, but endure, it will change. Some of you will die, but God is in the process of working this up. In fact, we see this call to patient endurance pick up in chapters 2 and 3. As we're going to see, John writes seven letters to the seven different churches. And what he does is he ends each letter with a request. And he says this. He always ends it like this. To the one who conquers. And then he fills in some sort of blessing of the new kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth. So it goes like this. To the one who endures, you will get the tree of life. You will not be hurt by the second death. You may get the first death, but the second death is not yours. You will get a new name. God promises that we'll rule over the nations, that we will have our names written in the book of life, that we'll become a pillar in the new temple, and that we will sit with Jesus on his throne. I think that's why John writes in chapter 1, verse 3, where he says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. What is he saying to keep? What are the words that we're to keep that we get this blessing from? The words are words of endurance. It's words to say that we are to overcome, that we are to persevere, because we know that victory is coming in Jesus. Friends, the people of God have always been a people who endure, who endure suffering, who endure persecution for the name of Christ, knowing That their king is on the throne. That if they wait, God will vindicate. And as we're going to see in this book, it's it's a shortcoming promise. God is saying, I'm going to deal with those who are persecuting. And he does in 70 AD. But the the promise carries on for us. God is a God who addresses the things that are happening, the persecution. He will make things right. And the call to is endured. One of my favorite stories of a Christian who endured was Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary uh, from the Americas to Burma, and he left America and spent over 40 years ministering to the Burmese, and his life was a life of faithful submission. During his time there, he and his family endured numerous bouts of cholera, malaria, dysentery, in fact, so much so that it claimed the lives of two of his three wives and seven of his 13 children. Also, the people there opposed his preaching the gospel. He spent much of his time in prison. They would rack him up and lift his feet up off the ground at night so that only his shoulders and head rested on the ground. And that's how he would have to sleep. And while he was in those chains, they would beat his feet and ask him to recount and to stop preaching the gospel. But he didn't. He endured. And by the time that he passed away, the Bible had been translated into Burmese. Over 100 churches had been started, and over 8,000 people had become followers of Jesus. He endured. He remained steadfast. And he saw the fruit, but there's even greater fruit to come for us to endure. So what does this mean? Friends, it's simple that we're called to endure along with all the other saints. Friends, we live in a time and a season where there's persecution for those who follow Jesus, perhaps not as strongly in our country, But around our world, there are believers who are having to endure persecution. We perhaps endure it socially or intellectually. Friends, the call is to endure, to remain faithful in the opposition to our culture. Or perhaps even more poignantly, though these early listeners were called to endure and wait for God to bring vindication on their persecutors. Friends, today we are dealing with death and disease and destruction that is imminent. We're dealing with trials. And the call is to endure. The call is to remain faithful to Jesus. And just like in their time, as we're going to see, some died. Some were killed for their faith. But the call was always to endure, knowing that the second death does not have hold. And friends, some of us may die. Some of us that we know and love may die. But if we are in Christ, if we endure to the end, the second death, not the first one, but the second death does not have its hold over us. We need to remain fast and endure. So we've looked at Jesus as a central theme. We've looked at endurance as a central theme. Third, I want to look at judgment. Judgment is coming. It's a main theme in the book of Revelation. And it goes hand in hand with the call to endure. Wait, hold on, because judgment against your enemies is coming. And you may be asking, where do we see that theme in the first chapter? Well, the first connection is through some of the imagery that John employs. Let's listen again to sections uh, or verses 12 through 16 in chapter 1. This is what John writes. He says, then. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp Two edged sword in his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So we have this amazing picture of Jesus standing among the lampstands, but I want you to notice the connection, the verbal connection between the description that John gives here and the words of the prophet Daniel that we studied earlier this year. This is from Daniel chapter 7. It says this, and I looked, and thrones were placed, and the ancient of days took his seat. And notice, his clothing was white as snow. Do you catch that connection? And the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. There's the, the talk in Revelation of his eyes were flames of fire. Its wheels was burning fire. The stream of fire issued out and came from up before him. Thousand thousands served him and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. It's the same picture. John's pulling in the language of this theme in Daniel. Well, Daniel describes this person as a son of man. If we continue to read on in the next couple of verses, it tells us who this person is. Verse 13 says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him and he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples and nations and language should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. If we put it all together and you recall what we talked about earlier in Daniel, Jesus routinely calls himself this son of man. John is showing us that Jesus is this prophesied son of man in Daniel. And if you recall from Daniel, the whole theme of Daniel is this prophecy of these kingdoms that follow after the kingdom of Babylon But that there's finally, after the fourth kingdom, there's another kingdom, this kingdom of the Son of Man that's eternal, that crushes and destroys all these other wicked, beastly nations. What John is doing here through all of his symbolism is he's reminding us that Jesus, who is standing in the midst of all the churches, is this king, and this is his kingdom, and he will destroy these other beastly, earthly nations. He will destroy Rome and those who stand opposed to the things of God. It's a a prophetic reminder reminder of the judgment of God that this new kingdom will bring. But that imagery there in verses 12 through 16 is not alone. I want you to check out also verse 7. Verse 7 of chapter 1 says this, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. John tells us in here that Jesus is coming. And he's coming on the clouds. It's always a prophetic image of judgment in the Old Testament. Every eye will see him. And then he says, who? Even those who pierced him. The people, the Romans, the Jews who pierced him would see him coming. What does John mean by this? Does he mean that some distant second coming, that Jesus, that's yet to happen, Jesus is going to come? Or does he mean something else? And to help flesh this out, I want to draw the connection between what John says here and what Jesus says in the Olivet Discourse that we looked at a few weeks ago. This is from Matthew chapter 24. Jesus, as he's talking about the destruction of the temple in the context with his disciples, says this, Immediately after the tribulation, this is Matthew 24, starting in verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then verse 30, Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Did you catch the same language? It's coming on the clouds of heaven. It's they will wail and mourn. The tribes of the earth will mourn. It's the same language. But here's the interesting thing. When Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, or uh, the Olivet Discourse, I'm sorry, Jesus said that all these things would happen within a generation of him speaking those words. And we saw last week that that time frame points us to 70 AD when indeed as Jesus prophesied the temple fell there was to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And even without the perspective of history the rest of the book clearly lays out that the beast as Rome and it's going to be destroyed. What's the point? Here's the point. Whether it's verse 7 or whether it's verses 12 through 16 John is using imagery to remind us that God is in control and that God is bringing judgment on his people, that God, or sorry, on the people who are opposed to him. He will pour out his wrath on his enemies. And this should bring us, friends, great hope. The greatest hope is that Jesus is coming to judge and he's coming to judge those who are killing and persecuting christians remember what i said about the the concentration camps what it would have felt like to to know that the the army was coming to rescue them friends jesus is saying here that he's got the firepower and that he is going to bring kingdom destroying power the kingdoms that oppose us that stand against us god is going to destroy them so what does this mean for you and i friends it means that we need to rejoice in justice See, as followers of Jesus, we need to delight in the destruction and the downfall of God's enemies, especially Satan and all who do his bidding. We need to delight when they are destroyed. Now, I want to press our Western sensibilities for a bit, and I want you to listen to the words of Psalm 58. It says this. This is God's word. He says, Oh, God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like a snail that dissolves into slime, like stillborn children who never see the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. And then he says this, the righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. Then it says this, Almost disturbing thing. It says this righteous man will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. And mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Friends, there is a thing that we must do. And that is we must rejoice. When God brings judgment on the wicked who are oppressing. And when God brings judgment on Satan. Satan. I want to be clear, at one level, God loves all people. And so we desire that all the wicked be destroyed in one of two ways. Either they be destroyed by repentance, that they turn from their evil ways, and their evil ways are destroyed by the gospel. That's what we long for. But if they choose not to repent, there's a goodness in their destruction. So friends, here's what I want you to consider. I was realizing a few years ago, I was watching a story of what happened to the Jews With the hands of the Nazis, where in certain parts of Eastern Europe, there were these accounts of them killing their children in the street in front of parents. And I just imagine myself there watching my children die and the rage at the evil that was coming. Friends, I think this is what Psalm 58 is talking about. I would want to see justice poured out on those who did such despicable things. And friends, you have to understand in the first century, these Christians were having this brutal killing. And there was this desire for judgment and vengeance. And there's an appropriate place for that. Jesus is coming to bring judgment and vengeance, to end the wrongs that are in this world. Friends, we need to appropriately rejoice in justice. Our prayer is that justice would ultimately be poured out on Christ. And so that the enemies of God, the wrath of God will be poured out on Jesus. They would be forgiven. But if they don't, we rejoice in their destruction. And we rejoice that God poured out his wrath on Christ. So the theme is that judgment is coming. Next, a sovereign savior. Another major theme that we have in Revelation is that there is a sovereign and powerful savior. In chapter 1, we see Jesus walking among these lampstands. And the lampstands are the church. And the picture is that he is in charge of all of this. That he is uh, ruling over all of it. And throughout Revelation, the the lordship of Jesus is declared. Look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. It says this, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Perhaps even more significantly, friends, is the future heavenly scene where they are looking for someone worthy enough to open the scrolls. And they searched and no one was worthy until they saw the lion and the lamb who is Jesus. What is the point of all this? The point of all this is that Jesus is worthy to unroll the scrolls, to unfold God's sovereign plan. So, friends, what does this mean for you and I? Friends, it means that Jesus is sovereign over all. And that we can rest in his sovereignty. We can rest in the shadow of his wings. Friends, as the coronavirus seems to go out of control, no matter what the best scientists and leaders do, that it continues its spread. Friends, we need to rest in our sovereign king who controls every atom and every molecule, who controls every heart and lung, who knows everything. Jesus stands present over it all. And we need to know that he's a good king. And we need to know that he's one who loves us, as it says in chapter one, who loved us. Friends, we need to rest in the shadow of his wing. And that leads us to our final theme, and that is a new kingdom. The final theme that we see here in Revelation 1 that gets established is the theme of a coming kingdom, a new kingdom. We saw the hints of Daniel's prophecy, and we know that it prophesied Daniel the coming of a new kingdom. And so John is picking up that theme. John is reminding us in the final chapters, ultimately, that's where we see it mostly in Revelation, that there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. But we see hints of it here in chapter one. Listen, it says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, verse five, and made us a kingdom and priests to our God, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Do you see what Jesus made believers into? They're a new kingdom of priests. God has transformed his church, into the new temple. There's going to be a new Jerusalem. There's going to be a new place where God and Jesus rule and his servants are in it, where everything is restored. Friends, one of the major themes of Revelation is that God is making all things new. The kingdom has come. It is coming and it will come. God is building a new heavens and a new earth where there will be Eden restored. There will be no death. There will be no disease. So what does this mean for us? Friends, we need to anticipate that kingdom. All the more in days like today, we need to look forward to the day when there will be no death or disease. There will be no cancer. There will be no wars. There will be no stock market crashes. There will be no bitterness or rivalry. There'll be no anger or hatred. There'll be no sin. Friends, I cannot wait for that day. Can you? And finally... We need to bring his kingdom. Friends, we are the kings and priests in his kingdom. We are the ones who are ministering the gospel. We are the ones who are saying, come, Lord Jesus, come as we pray and we invite him to come. We're the ones who are standing and calling out for God to vindicate and set the world right. We lament and we mourn. We call and we pray. We do hands and feet to bring good. We bring the working of the resurrection in everything that we do from serving the poor to healing the sick to to bringing the word of God and preaching the forgiveness and the repentance that come through Jesus. So friends, what is the message of Revelation? The message is this, that Jesus wins, that Jesus wins over his enemies, that Jesus wins to save those who are suffering, that Jesus wins to bring about a new heavens and a new earth, and that Jesus wins so that he is all in all. And so my call in the midst of all that is going on is to worship Jesus and see him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords.